This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, August 4th. I'm Doug Blair. And I'm Samantha Rank. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi led a delegation to Taiwan this week despite growing aggression from China, who threatened determined and forceful measures if the trip happened. Pelosi arrived in Taiwan on Tuesday night, local time, and met with Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen and Taiwan lawmakers. Walter Lohman, the director of the Asian Studies Center here at the Heritage Foundation, joins the podcast to discuss Pelosi's visit, if he thinks it will start World War III, and how China has responded to Pelosi's visit. But before we get to Samantha's conversation with Walter Lohman, let's hit today's top news. Voters in Kansas rejected a pro-life ballot question on Tuesday during the state's primary election. 58.8% of voters opposed the proposed value-them-both amendment to the state constitution and 41.2% voted for it, according to the Associated Press. The vote came about a month and a half after the Supreme Court overturned its landmark Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. Daily Signal reporter Virginia Allen was on the ground Tuesday night in Overland Park, Kansas, and spoke with both pro-life and pro-abortion voters. Democrat State Senator Dinah Sykes, who is pro-abortion, told the Daily Signal, I think we just need everyone who is engaged with this to stay engaged, and we can show that we can do great things. Abortion currently is legal in Kansas up to 22 weeks. Peter Northcott, executive director of Kansans for Life, expressed concern that the abortion industry would continue to make Kansas a destination for extreme abortions, but said that no matter what, the pro-life movement will still be here. The American Civil Liberties Union, also known as the ACLU, has filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court. Why? To protect racial discrimination in college admissions. ACLU chapters in Massachusetts and North Carolina filed the brief Monday, pressing the high court to allow colleges to continue affirmative action policies and use race as a determining factor in university admissions. The court will hear oral arguments in the case called Students for Fair Admissions versus President and Fellows of Harvard College, likely sometime next year. In a Monday tweet announcing the amicus brief, the ACLU wrote, We filed an amicus brief today urging the Supreme Court to protect universities' ability to consider race in college admissions. Ending these considerations would ignore our country's present-day racial inequality and threaten diversity on campuses everywhere. The ACLU continued, Not talking about race doesn't erase discrimination. It ignores the ways that structural racial inequality impacts students. The watchdog group American Oversight said Tuesday that the Defense Department does not have text messages related to the Capitol riot from numerous top officials because they were wiped during the change of presidential administrations. The group previously filed a public records request for acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller and former Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy following the Capitol riot that occurred January 6, 2021, and were told during litigation that the records didn't exist, The Hill reported. The Defense Department and the Army said in March that when an employee separates from DOD or Army, he or she turns in the government-issued phone and the phone is wiped. For those custodians no longer with the agency, the text messages were not preserved and therefore could not be searched. The Hill also reported that text messages from two former Homeland Security officials in the Trump administration, Chad Wolf and Ken Cuccinelli, were also lost during the transition when their phones were reset. That's all for headlines. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Walter Lohman about Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan.
As I approached the walkway from around the back of the building, they had taken um, crowbars to almost all of our windows, two of our doors, and just shattered all of the glass. That's the voice of Susan Campbell, executive director of Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. In the early hours after Roe v. Wade was overturned, vandals smashed windows and spray-painted threatening messages outside the center. I'm Virginia Allen. Next week, we're releasing a documentary about what happened to the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center, and we take a deep dive into the violence and attacks against other pregnancy centers across the country. Stay tuned and make sure you're subscribed to The Daily Signal's YouTube channel to watch this documentary and other videos from The Daily Signal. Joining the podcast today is Walter Lohman. He has been the director of the Asian Studies Center here at the Heritage Foundation for over 15 years and is in studio to discuss Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan this week. Walter, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Speaker Nancy Pelosi landed in Taipei on Tuesday night. She met with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen, as well as Taiwanese lawmakers. First and foremost, what do you think of Speaker Pelosi following through with her trip, given the fierce rhetoric coming out of China and the opposition from President Biden and the Pentagon? Well, actually, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, She first mentioned this back in April. She was planning on going and she got COVID. And at the time, a lot of people... Uh, speculated, well, okay, yeah, sure, really, COVID, you're not going because the Chinese were unhappy. But in fact, I never doubted she would reschedule and be back on. And once it was scheduled, I didn't doubt that she would follow through on on the trip. You know, it's really important that she do it. A Speaker of the House going to Taiwan, demonstrating American support for Taiwan. It's doubly important to do it once a Chinese called her out for it, because uh, at that point, they're dictating to us who may and may not visit Taiwan or, you know, if after Taiwan, maybe it's someplace else they're not happy about where we go, or maybe somebody else in our government that they're, you know, not pleased visit Taiwan. Uh, so it was, it was really important that she go. Definitely. And, you know, what was your assessment of Pelosi and, and what she had to say while she was in Taiwan um, and her messaging on social media, as well as her um, op-ed that she wrote for the Washington Post? I thought it was pretty tight messaging. I I think she's trying to be firm about U.S. commitment to Taiwan, uh, at the same time portraying it as nothing out of keeping with traditional U.S. policy in the region. And I think she's right about that, as has been advertised all over now. Speaker Gingrich went to Taiwan 25 years ago. Um, congressional delegations go all the time. It's a regular occurrence for congressional delegations to go to Taiwan. Members, senators, um, and cabinet-level officials go from time to time. Um, so there is really nothing uh, unprecedented by what she she did. I think there was a bigger problem, though, with the administration's response. I think um, Biden was wrong for trying to call her back on it. I don't know if that was advised by a staff or what. It seems sort of an impromptu thing, but it was wrong for him to try to hold her back. They later tried to make up for that by, you know, deferring to her, et cetera, which really they have no choice. I mean, she's the Speaker of the House. She can go if she wants to. It's our divided government, our sort of uh, separation of powers, but he should not have done that. He made the situation much worse. As far as the Pentagon's concerned, 
I'm not really sure what the Pentagon thought, to tell you the truth. Um, the uh, the administration, Biden himself, said something about the military, quote unquote, doesn't think it's a good idea. We don't know what that meant. We don't know who it was, what he's talking about exactly. And, and at the end of the day, there was no danger to uh, Pelosi's safety or, or, or whatever. There's some bigger issues maybe we can talk about there. But the, the, the sort of hyperbolic concerns at the moment that they were going to invade Taiwan over this and all all the rest did prove to be that hyperbolic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about President Biden and, you know, these military leaders that were opposed to the speaker's trip, advising that it wasn't a good idea at this time. As you mentioned earlier, Speaker Pelosi was set to visit Taiwan back in April, got COVID, um, visited this week. Uh, now that Pelosi has visited Taiwan, uh, does this make Biden look bad or weak? What message does her visit send to China? I think Biden's reaction does look bad, and that's why he tried to turn it around and approach it a little bit differently later. Again, like I say, I'm not sure that the military had a concern. I know that Biden said the military had a concern. Who knows what that means? Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean— it makes him look bad. It makes him look bad in the face of the Chinese that he's buckling to their pressure. Maybe he has some other things he's trying to do with the Chinese. Clearly, he had this fel- telephone call with Xi Jinping um, last week. Maybe that was his concern. His people worked to put this thing together. He seems very eager for a conversation with Xi Jinping, and he didn't want to jeopardize that. He was afraid that was going to be jeopardized. Could be that. Could be climate change cooperation, healthcare cooperation. As a matter of fact, they came out of the call between C and um, Biden talking about the ability to cooperate on things like environmental uh, issues and um, healthcare issues, you know, pandemics and that sort of thing. So maybe he has some idea, you know, he's generally trying to calm things with China, I think, over the last year. And I guess he saw this as uh, getting in the way of that. In terms of the message that her trip sends to China, it's that, you know, you can't bully the United States. It, it's also a, an important important uh, point to make about the way our government works. You know, Their government works one way, okay? Whatever. We can talk about that in another podcast, how their government works. But the way our government works is that Congress is separate from the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And Congress determines whether the speaker goes, whether the majority leader goes, what kind of delegations they send, what kind of statements they make, what kind of laws and resolutions and things like that they pass. They could pass a resolution tomorrow that says we reject the whole one China policy, we, you know, and we want independence for Taiwan. They could do that. And nothing that the president can do about it. Had had this trip been canceled, Biden would have sent just the opposite message. He would have sent the message that actually our system doesn't work like that. You can press me and I'll make my people fall in line. You know, and that would have been terrible. So it's so important that she followed through with this. And in terms of Pelosi's trip itself, um, do you have any thoughts on the speculation over who might have leaked the trip in the first place, whether it was the Biden administration or someone from Pelosi's um, own office? Do you think it matters? I don't know. It's one of those things where you just have to think who had the motive to do it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Total speculation. But I don't see how Pelosi would have the motive to do it. Uh, Look at all that happened once it came out, right? She would have been closer she could get without anyone noticing the better. Um, 
And I don't think the Taiwanese would leak it for the same reason. They don't want pressure to build so that she has to cancel. They wanted her to go. They were not, they were never going to tell her, forget about it. You know, we didn't know it was going to be so much trouble because, of course, they did know it was going to be trouble. They're not going to tell her. So I think they're, again, I'm speculating, but I could imagine there are people within the administration who thought you could leak this out and you could raise enough noise that the pressure would build and you'd have to, you'd have to cancel it. I want to talk a little bit about Taiwan itself now and what impact Pelosi's trip might have on the island itself. According to some reports on Wednesday, the Chinese military is planning to launch uh, joint military operations around Taiwan. What do you make of this? Well, you know, we had a crisis. They call it the third Taiwan Straits crisis back in 95, 96. And at that time, the Chinese were doing similar thing protesting some moves in the United States. They were launching missiles and in, in, in the Straits. And the U.S. responded with two carrier battle groups deployed to the region just to show them that we had enough to protect Taiwan if it came to that. I think that the Chinese are doing this sort of mirror image of that this time. So they're proving to us that they have what it takes to blockade Taiwan, to take Taiwan if they had to. I don't think it's a prelude to them invading anytime soon. I mean, anytime soon being like this week, next week, you know, this year. I mean, um, but it's to show us that they can do it. That incident back in 95, 96 shaped the Chinese military basically for the next 25 years. Everything they were doing has been focused on Taiwan, focused on the ability to deal with U.S. aircraft carriers, uh, shaping their doctrine and their personnel training and all that around that possibility. So they're trying to give us the same the same thing, the same sort of cathartic experience that they had in 95, 96. Now, the Chinese also banned imports of Taiwanese pastries, baked goods, fish, sand, which is used for building. Is this more hurtful or harmful to Taiwan than it sounds? It's harmful. It's not as harmful as some other things that they've done in the past along those lines. Uh, the fish, as I understand it, they've targeted is not the most popular fish that they export. Um, but they've t- targeted more popular fish in the past, fish that's very uh, important to Taiwanese economy. Um, it, it'll, it'll, you know, it's, it'll hurt. It's designed to hurt. Mm-hmm. But it's something the Chinese do all the time. And they do not just to Taiwan. They did to Australia. Uh, they do to the Europeans. You know, they do this. This is their retaliation. They always do it with a sort of plausible deniability where they say, well, we have to inspect this. And we inspect it. It has pests and it, you know, and so they don't say it's because of what you did, but coincidentally, the ban comes just after <laughs> they objected to something that you did. And then, what about the cyber attacks against Taiwanese government websites? Is that kind of the same idea as what we were just talking about, or is that a little bit yeah, more severe? I, I think that's a. I think that goes back to this warning idea that what they can do. Um, I, I still wouldn't rule out them doing something like that to us mm-hmm. just to give us a hint that if they really want to shut down cyber, they can shut it down. I mean, if we ever fight a war with China, a lot of the preparation for the war is going to be in cyberspace. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember back in the um, back in the day that both the first and second Gulf Wars, the U.S. Air Force prepped the ground, right? They bombed for days and days and weeks to, before the ground invasion started. Cyberspace is a little bit like that now. They've got to shut things down on cyberspace to get there, and so they're showing that they can um, that they can do it. And, and by the way, they're they're bombarding 
Taiwanese cyberspace all the time in their social media networks and that sort of thing, trying to prep them for a more peaceful uh, unification, but just the same, bring them into China. And you mentioned this a little bit um, in your in your last answer in terms of potentially going to war with China. Do you think that this visit um, could start World War III? Or do you think they could use it as an excuse to attack uh, the United States? I don't think so, no. I mean, I, I think um, the fact that they're doing these exercises over a very finite period of time, they start them on Thursday, the day after she leaves, and they've said they're going to do it for three days. Um, so I see that more as a as a warning, a preparation, a training sort of thing. Um, but the message is that we can invade, and if things don't go our way, we will. And they've been very clear for that for a long time, that unless there is some sort of peaceful unification, we reserve the right to do it in an unpeaceful way. And so the U.S. has to be prepared for that eventuality. Every day, the Chinese military grows in strength, and the U.S. military is actually getting weaker. Mm -hmm. And so um, they're in a better, better position all the time. Uh, the, 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 the best case scenario for Beijing is that that just becomes obvious to everyone and that they never have to invade, but they get to what they want. They don't, they don't really want a war. They want it. This thing, nobody really wants a war. They want what they want, mm -hmm. and they go to war to get it. If they can get it without going to war, they won't. And so the more they can prove this, this strategic advantage over the United States, this increased firepower and, and sort of discourage the United States from ever doing anything to respond, mm -hmm. the closer they are to their goal. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about uh, some comments from the Pentagon Press Secretary, John Kirby, from earlier this week. Um, he said on Monday uh, that the United States does not support uh, Taiwan independence. He also emphasized that the United States' one-China policy has not changed and is guided by the Taiwan Relations Act. Are Kirby's remarks significant in any way? They're just a restatement of standard U.S. policy for 40 years. That's, that's the catechism. TRA, the um, three communiques, um, and the six assurances, those are, they stand as like the basis of our one China policy. A lot of times you hear the Chinese talking about one China principle. That's a different thing. It's, that's their way of looking at it. One China principle means that Taiwan and China are one country and don't interfere with that. One China policy is our policy where we don't acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. So he was just restating it. I think, you know, any time an American official restates that, it's usually to reassure either the Taiwanese or the Chinese that nothing has changed, that we still support this kind of ambiguous situation between the two, but we support Taiwan's continued de facto independence and its ability to determine its own future. And do you think, you know, given the rise in aggression that we've seen coming out of Beijing, do you think it's time for the United States to change its policy for Taiwan? You know, what are the alternatives if so? Uh, personally, I don't think so. I think it works. I think it works fine like it does. Um, what I think we need to have is a certain certainty on the capability of the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. So if you have a certainty that the U.S. can deal with whatever the Chinese might do, you don't need to make the other statements, right, mm -hmm. about what we would definitely do. Uh, on the other hand, if you um, 
if you if you say what you will definitely do, but you don't have the means to back it up, that's no good either. Actually, the the, the person who stated this the best for a, for a president was Donald Trump, who in 2020, in August 2020, he was asked a question. He said, um, "The Chinese know what I will do," and the reporter pressed him and said, "Well, you know, but." Oh, can you be more specific in ways? No, I don't. I don't want to be specific. I don't need to be specific. The Chinese know, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what the policy is. We want to make sure they understand that we're going to do this without mm-hmm. saying it out loud, because that then sort of catalyzes the environment in the same way we were afraid that Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi's visit might catalyze the environment. Yes, uh, Walter. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we end, I just wanted to ask if there were any other, um, you know, important points that you wanted to talk about that you think might be missed in the media coverage of Speaker Pelosi's visit um, this week to Taiwan. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that's it. You know, um, this sort of thing should continue. I would hope that if Kevin McCarthy is the next speaker next year, I hope he would go. Uh, he has said he will go. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for him to do it now that he's said it. Um, I think as many congressmen, senators as possible could go. I think the president should send a cabinet level official, you know, and we can debate over what the cabinet level official, who that is and how high a level official that is, et cetera. But there's so much more we need to do with Taiwan to give them this assurance and then to back it up with real power to support those assurances. Well, Walter Lohman, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, to speak about Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan this week. I really appreciate it and uh, hope you'll join me again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to The Daily Signal Podcast on your podcast listening app of choice. That's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you haven't, leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage your friends and family to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Doug Blair, and Samantha Rank. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.